Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We just finished our sermon series on adversity through the month of October. So we had four weeks of that, and now we're getting ready to start a new sermon series in the month of November. But we've got this pesky fifth Sunday in there, and you know, sermon series are only good if they're four weeks long. That's how sermon series work, so they fit exactly in a month. And so we've got this weird week, so it's kind of a free-for-all, right? It's, it's the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds. you got the entire Bible to pick from. What do you pick, right? So we're going to go topical today. And what is the hottest topic that we have right now? You guys know what tomorrow is? Reformation Day, right, Ryan? Reformation Day, right. Yep, so we're going to preach on Reformation Day. I'm just kidding. It's also Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. Ooh, spooky, right? So we are going to, on that theme of Halloween, we're going to tackle spiritual warfare. What up, right? I should have advertised this. Posted all over Facebook, took out a couple ads in the newspaper, plastered it on some billboards down 75. Because I will tell you what, when you talk spiritual warfare or when you talk end times events, people come out of the woodwork for it, right? We would have tripled in size today because everybody wants to hear, yeah, spiritual warfare, let's go, end times events. Come on, somebody, right? And we just come out for it. You guys know me, though little too well. We're going to strip the controversy right out of all of this, right? It's going to be so unsatisfying for those of you who love the controversy of spiritual warfare and, and all that stuff, because what are we going to do here, y'all? The church's name is the Gospel House, right? So we're going to apply the implications of the gospel to spiritual warfare, because that's what we have to do. It's what we should be doing with everything, right? Gospel has us walk this razor's edge. It's not balance. I don't like that talking about balance when we talk about the gospel because it's not balance, but it's walking the gospel. And the gospel is, Jesus calls it what? The straight and narrow, right? And so that's what we have to walk when we walk the gospel. And so when we're talking about spiritual warfare, how do we war the gospel's way? Because the problem that we have today is that we have a lot of Christians engaging in spiritual warfare, but they're engaging in it man's way. They're not engaging in it God's way. And you know how we can tell that? Because I read this really goofy passage from Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, talking about meat sacrificed to idols, and everybody out there right now is thinking, what the heck does that have to do with spiritual warfare? Right? It doesn't appear that it has anything to do with spiritual warfare. Well, it doesn't talk about demons or angels or anything like that, right? Pleading the blood and holy water and crucifixes, people's heads spinning around. Like, it doesn't talk about that stuff, right? What kind of spiritual warfare are you getting us into, Pastor Jeremy? But that's because we as Christians are so used to fighting spiritual warfare man's way that we don't recognize it when it's brought about God's way. And so if we step back and we ask the question, this is what we want to be about here. How do we do this God's way? And we should be doing everything God's way, not man's way. If we step back and ask, how do we war spiritually God's way, we're going to find a very uncontroversial, gospel-centered approach that looks a lot like this. Now, we just got done talking about adversity, right? For four weeks, you have had the same three sermon PowerPoints, right? 
Same three main points every single week through our adversity series. Now, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret if you didn't know this. When we are done talking about a sermon, when we're finished with a sermon series, you can still apply the principles that you learned in that sermon series, even though we're not in the sermon series anymore. <laughs> right? We know this, but sometimes we act like, oh, we're out of the sermon series, forget all that stuff. New wineskins, that's not how that works. Okay? So, look at this. I want you to look at these three main points, because you're going to find something. Is spiritual warfare adversity? Yes. Okay? Now look at this. We got to fight the right war. You could rephrase that pretty easily into facing the right storm. Couldn't you? We have to know how to fight. Jesus calls us to fight courageously, right? And we have to know how to win, which, as we'll get into this, you'll find has a lot to do with our anchor and who our anchor is. None of that goes away, right? Just because we're out of the sermon series, it doesn't go away. So let's start by fighting the right war, by facing the right storm. We talked about this a lot during the adversity sermon series. This was the promise. Jesus' promise to us that nobody wants to claim, right, is that you will face adversity. And in order to face that adversity correctly, you've got to face the right storm. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we have to fight the right fight. And this is where we get into it. Today's scripture reading does not look like it has anything to do with spiritual warfare. When we think of spiritual warfare, we don't think of food sacrificed to idols that Paul's talking about here. But the problem is, and this is what Paul's identifying, and this is the problem we have as Christians. We talked about it during the adversity series. So many of us are so obsessed with fighting the wrong war. We fight man's war. We fight man's way. We fight our own personal battles, right? And when we're busy swinging at the wrong person, are you ever going to win that war? You're not, right? And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 8. Concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. This is confusing. Will we admit that? A lot of Paul's letters are confusing. But what's Paul saying here? If we strip it all back, what is, what's the whole point of this? And Paul's saying, Christian, face the right war. Fight the right fight. And food is not the right fight. So coming up on tomorrow, the war is not Halloween. Right? The war is not alcohol. The war is not Christian school versus homeschool versus public school. Those are the wrong wars. But we have Christians, boy do we have Christians, who fight those wars, don't we? Who fight and swing and call names and bite and devour each other over these things. Now, I want to clarify something. Gospel's edge, right? Which means when you walk that gospel's edge, that razor edge of the gospel, that means you can fall off on one side, and it also means you can fall off on the other side. Because here's the other side of that. There are some things that you do not get to apply this to, right? God's law is God's law. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so we do not get to look at this food sacrifice to idol and say, now I'm going to give you a really silly one first, but we don't get to say, well, you know, I, I have a very mature faith, so it's okay for me to murder people. 
because my faith is so far beyond. I mean, these people with the immature faith, they might not be able to kill people, but I can kill people and still be a-okay with God. That's not how that works. That's God's law. God's law doesn't have to do with mature or immature faith, okay? But we strip this down and we make it pretty uncomfortable. Sex outside of marriage is not sometimes right and sometimes wrong. Coarse language is not sometimes right and sometimes wrong. Theft, gossip, not being kind to others. Those things are not subject to what Paul's talking about here. All right? So we've got to draw a distinction. God's law is not up for debate. When God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's all of these in-between things that we have to deal with. These things that God hasn't given us specific commands towards. The Bible does not say, now look, I've, I've read the Facebook posts, y'all. The Bible doesn't so- say where to send your children to school. It doesn't, okay? And there are a lot of people who pull up these Bible verses now, but this is the thing with all of this. That does not mean that God does not tell you where to send your kids to school. So if, you, if God gives you a Bible verse, this is why we've got to walk in the Spirit, right? Because if the Holy Spirit convicts on your heart, I need to homeschool my kids. And I use this passage from Deuteronomy 6 to say how important it is for me to be the one that trains up my child. Good. That's good. And that's fine. But don't make your conviction a law of God. Because the problem we have today is that that is not the right war. And we've got people who feel that conviction to homeschool their children, and that's good, but then they rage this war against everyone else for not doing the same thing. Right? It's the same, and, and we can break it down. Like, I used homeschool because that's, that is out there, but that, don't, that's not, don't take this as like, oh, Jeremy's against homeschool. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are a thousand things like this, okay? Drinking alcohol, whatever it is, all of these little things, and we make these, these enormous deals. But these are convictions of the Holy Spirit that he works on our heart. Now, I'll say this about alcohol, because this is a hot one, right? The Bible does not say, nowhere in the Bible does it say, do not drink alcohol. The Bible does say, do not get drunk, right? So Christian, if you want to toe that line, all right? And I'll tell you this, this, this is when I was a youth pastor, this was always the big question, right? Your little youth boys and girls, they always want to know, pastor, how far is too far, right? So the question comes up, well, is being buzzed the same as being drunk? If you have to ask the question, the answer is yes. That's the safest way to play it. Pastor, how far is too far? If you have to ask the question, well, can I kiss my boyfriend? If you have to ask the question, the answer is, in that case, no. Right? That's too far, right? Especially if it's my children, the answer is no. Okay? But, but here's the thing. Again, with convictions, it is good that you have your convictions. But what Paul is saying here is that convictions of the Holy Spirit are not universal. So don't make them universal. How in the world do we do that? How in the world do we do that? And the answer follows, starting in verse 7. He says, Not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol. These people can't differentiate, right? They can't say, well, this is, this is just food. It's just a steak. It's going in my belly and going out. Like, it's just food right? They can't differentiate. All they see when they see the steak is this is sacrificed to an idol. All they see when they see a a glass of wine is this is wrong. That's all they see. So what do we do? We say, get lost, buddy. You have an immature faith. You stink at life. Get out of here, right? But food will not condemn us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. Here it is. Here it is. 
But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so... By sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, I like steak. I really do. A lot. The fleshly side of Jeremy... So the side of Jeremy that is of the world that I fight against, because I don't want that side, right? As a Christian, I want to get rid of that side entirely, and I want to be only walking in the Spirit. But the fleshly side of Jeremy fights this. Anybody else willing to admit that? I mean, sure, you can all admit, yeah, the fleshly side of Jeremy fights this. I mean, for you, right? Because when we read this, what's, what's, I mean, let's be honest. What's the first thing that comes up? God, this isn't fair. Why in the world should I have to not eat steak? You're telling me I got to live with this salad diet for the rest of my life. I don't care how many croutons you put on it. And I don't get to eat steak anymore, all because my brother or sister's faith is weak? God, that's not fair. Uh Uh-oh, 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 because all of a sudden we get to the root of this problem pretty darn quick. These convictions, the reason we war so hard for them, and we fight these wars over things that aren't God's law, is because deep down, it's all about us, right? Right? I want to justify my decision. I choose not to send my kids out trick-or-treating on Halloween. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's dark outside and I'm sending them to gather food from strangers' houses. I've always found that a little peculiar. Sure, kids. I mean, September 2nd, go around in the dark and take food from strangers. Don't do that, right? But put a mask on and it's okay all of a sudden. But I don't celebrate Halloween. My, I don't send my kids trick-or-treating. I don't, I don't do that. It's an evil holiday. It's, you know, all that stuff. I don't do it. And so I wage war on everybody who decides to. Well, if you, t- if you send your kids out trick-or-treating, you don't care if they go to hell. Well, if you send your kids out trick-or-treating, you're just participating in the, in the devil's holiday. And your whole family's going to hell. But deep down, if I strip it back, it's because I'm not actually that confident in my convictions. I want to justify, well, I heard God's voice. Guys, when you hear God's voice, and and let me tell you this about anybody that you hear proclaiming God's word, you never see Jesus shouting in the streets, do you? People who have truth don't need to shout truth. Because they trust the truth to stand on its own. With your convictions, trust that God's told you that God, the Holy Spirit, has convicted you of those things and walk in it. And look, if people come to you and they want to know, hey, Pastor Jeremy, why do you send your kids to public school? Well, because my wife and I prayed about it and we really felt that it was important that our kids be a light in the darkness. And so we disciple them, we raise them, we teach them to go and be a light in the darkness. And you know what we tell them? Well, what about critical race theory and and all this stuff? You know what we tell them? We tell them that this comes first, and what is in here is right, and if they hear something that contradicts it, that it's not right. And we have those conversations, but we don't shy away from them. We have those conversations with them. But that's our reasoning. That's our conviction. Am I going to stand up here on a Sunday and say, You have weak faith if you don't... Absolutely not. Because that is my conviction. But that's why 
we chose to do it. It's not wrong to talk about it, but don't war over it. Choose the right war. We had a really great conversation with, I, with Elam and Jubilee yesterday when we were talking, to, we were talking about you know, some of these different things, abortion and, and you know, homosexuality and, and all that stuff. That's the stuff we talk about in the pastor's home. Just, just kidding. <laughs> it just happened to come up. We don't talk about this all the time. But we're, we're talking about these things, and, and we, but we talked to them, and we said, kids, it is so vital that you identify the right enemy in all of this stuff. Because the problem in the church today is that we have identified the wrong enemy. And so we are on a seek and destroy mission against any person who disagrees with us. And that is not what Jesus says. Jesus says to love your enemies. And you cannot love your enemy while you're seeking to destroy him or her. And, and unfortunately, we've, we've gone to the point so far that we're trying to, trying to dismantle their position, and in doing so, we're okay destroying the person. And church, that's wrong. That's not what the gospel says. We've got to identify the right enemy. And the right enemy is Satan, which should make us feel compassion for these people who have bought the lie, right? It shouldn't cause hatred to well up in us. It should cause compassion to feel sorry, and to feel the need to pour out even more love to try to show the truth. But we have to stop waging these silly wars. We have to focus on the main thing, the big wars, right? And obey what the Bible says. And when we get that straight, when we start fighting the right fight, then we have to know how to fight. And Christian, disciple of Jesus, how do we fight? The same way Jesus did, right? Everything we do, if you are calling yourself a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, you need to fight the way he did. And how did Jesus fight? What did he do that was so drastically different? He fought God's way, right? That's why Jesus looked so foreign to all of the Pharisees and Sadducees, even his own disciples. You know, it's, it's always been funny to me, but in the book of Acts, after G, or right before Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, you know, his disciples ask him, like, well, hey, Jesus, is now is, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And, and like, I have to imagine Jesus is just kind of like, he's still, guys, I've been walking with you all this time talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and now you want to ask, is now, now you're going to restore the kingdom of, come on, guys, have you listened to anything I've said? But we get that way, don't we? Jesus, is now the time you're going to restore America? Who cares? I, I, I shouldn't say that that harsh. I love this country. It's, I'm not anti-America. It's not that. But I'm more for the kingdom of God than I am for America. Right? And, and that's what this is about. But all of these people around Jesus, they didn't even recognize what he's doing because he fought God's way. And that's, you know, that's the biggest burden to why Jana and I started this church. Was, was that burning in us that there is a way to do church that other people just aren't doing right now. There's so much emphasis put on man's way and, and business and you know doing things man's way. What if we just did what God says? What if we threw all that other stuff in the garbage and we just did God's thing, what God lays out in his word, and did it that way? And we got the go-ahead from God. People need to see this. Gospel House, those of you sitting, watching online, however you're here, people need to see you walking God's way. Church, we've tried man's way, right? We've tried it, and look at where we're at. We've got to start doing it God's way. We need to fight God's fights. 
We need to carry His cross. We need to face His storm. And we do it all His way. And how did Jesus do it? If you've been here a while, you might recognize this passage. I think this is one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible. It's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is the attitude of Christ. Your attitude shapes everything you do, right? If you wake up in the morning grumpy, your day's going to stink, right? Come on, somebody, right? When Jeremy wakes up grumpy, I have already made up my mind that everything that happens to me that day is going to be awful, right? Your attitude changes everything. So what if we daily, moment by moment, walked in the attitude of Christ? Here it is. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is Jesus' attitude. This is the attitude with which Jesus approached every single day he lived on this earth. In fact, this is the attitude that even sitting at the right hand of the Father, this is still Jesus' attitude because Jesus doesn't change. This is what makes him such an incredible Savior. Have you ever heard any of those qualities listed off by someone who is a king? Right? It doesn't happen because typically, humans, a king lords it over people. A king is served. It's all about the king. But Jesus completely flips that script. And this is also how Jesus fought with this attitude. And as a Christian, if we fight God's way, this is how you are called to fight. Christian, this is completely different from anything that the world does. This is pure foolishness to the world. Who would ever fight this way? Listen to this. Surrender. I mean, that right there. How can you fight by surrendering? Right? Kind of, those two go against, right? Because when you surrender, you lose. You guys know that, right? The definition of surrender. We fight by surrender. We fight by way of selflessness. We fight by way of obedience. We fight by way of humility. We fight by way of bringing worship and glory to God in everything we do and taking none for ourselves. Have you ever seen a man fight that way? When we're talking about man's battles, somebody could say, yeah, Jesus, yeah. He did fight that way. And he won us the ultimate victory. You know, we talked about, you know, God through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, you know, gives us this passage from Corinthians 8. And it talks about putting others first in all things. Why is that the first step of spiritual warfare? Because that's how Jesus did it, right? Jesus put others first in all things. And of all of the people born, he's the only one who had every right to not do it that way. Jesus could have taken the seat of honor at every banquet he went to. Everywhere. This is the king of the universe you're talking about. He could have marched right into Caesar's palace and said, eh, it's mine now. But he didn't. He served selflessly. And we've talked about this a lot, especially lately. But, you know, one of the most powerful things in the Gospel of John tells us over and over and over again that as Jesus ministered on this earth, he only did what he saw his Father doing. 
he only said what he heard his father saying, right? Over and over again, Jesus tells all of the people, I did not come on my own initiative or for my own initiative. Jesus did not come, not one time, to do things his way. And he could have because he's the very son of God. But he didn't. Every moment of every day was lived in surrender to his father, giving the Holy Spirit control to call the shots, to tell him what to do. And he did it perfectly. Jesus only fought his father's fights. No pet projects, no convictions, nothing else. He only fought his father's fights. And do you know why? Because Jesus knew how to win. Christian, do you want to win? We talk spiritual warfare and all this stuff, right? You want to win, right? Nobody wants to lose, right? Come on, somebody. You don't show up to the game if you're just going to lose. Everybody wants to win. So how do we win? You fight your father's fights. God's undefeated. I don't know about you guys, but like, let's say there's a pitcher for a baseball team, and he's undefeated. Every start, he's never lost a start. Dude, I, I want to play center field while he's pitching, right? And hopefully he just strikes everybody out, and I don't even have to do anything. I just stand there and watch, right? He's undefeated. God has never lost a battle. He never loses. And so, Christian, what's the way we win every time? We fight his fights. Now, here's the thing. I'll be real honest with y'all. I have a very low opinion of spiritual warfare. I just don't think much of it. You know, when people talk about spiritual warfare, and, oh, yeah, all this stuff. We, we went to, the, you know, this foreign city and, you know, the, oh, the darkness there. and da, 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 You know, everybody gets real hyped up on it and everything. And it's just kind of like, eh. That's kind of my reaction to it. Eh. Okay. And it's not because I don't believe it doesn't exist. I absolutely believe it exists. In fact, I believe spiritual warfare probably should exist in our minds a little bit more. Uh, don't take this the wrong way, but I think a lot of times when we read through the, the New Testament and we see Jesus casting out these demons and all of this stuff, and I look at today's culture and I see some of the stuff that he's casting demons out for, I think, man, I wonder if we're over-medicated. Because instead of, now listen, that doesn't say, I'm not saying medicine's wrong. <laughs> when I get a headache, I take aspirin. I don't just plead the blood and hope that it goes away. I take aspirin, right? Medicine's good, but I'm wondering how many times there's something going on and we just shove pills down our throats and hope it goes away when the answer actually is in spiritual warfare. When we should be praying into these things and fighting these spiritual battles and casting out demons that way. I think there's a lot more to this that our educated society has moved on from because all of those spiritual things like demons and angels, highly evolved people don't believe in that stuff, right? That's for the simpletons and the tribal people and all that. Superstitions, right? The Bible says otherwise. And if you're going to start choosing which parts of the Bible you want to throw away and which parts you want to keep, I, you want to shoot holes in the Bible, why keep any of it, right? Believe it all or don't believe any of it, okay? But today, our problem with spiritual warfare, and the reason I'm so meh on it, is because we love the drama of it, right? We love the drama of spiritual warfare. And so we make it this huge thing, this huge battle. It's like we've watched The Exorcist one too many times. Or if you're a good Christian and you haven't watched The Exorcist, you've heard about it one too many times. And so we go into these spiritual warfare, and you've got your crucifix and your holy water, and the power of Christ compels you, and the person who's possessed has their head start spinning and their skin turns green and Guys, since when has Hollywood ever given good spiritual advice? Right? 
So why in the world are we letting Hollywood tell us what spiritual warfare actually looks like? Because here's the thing. We fight to win. And we know how to win. Because when I read my Bible, this is what I see. And this is just one example. I could have thrown a ton more at you. Mark 3, verses 11 to 12. This is talking about Jesus. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. There are other times we see Jesus command the evil spirits to shut their mouths. Guys, it's not, I command you to stop hurting people. I command you to go out of here. I command, no, I command you to not even speak. Don't say a word. And then there's this epic fight and the demons are like drop kicking and Jesus comes off from the top ropes and drops an elbow. No, no. Y'all have heard my soapbox on this before, but we do the same thing in the book of Revelation. We get to the battle of Armageddon. And Hollywood loves this, you know, like, oh, Satan, he's just about to take the reins of Jerusalem, but then Jesus chops his arm off and it's all over. Oh, thank goodness Jesus showed up. That's not how it goes. This is so anticlimactic. And Hollywood hates anticlimactic because you don't sell tickets. Jesus shows up on his white horse. This is, this is it. This is the Bible's way. Satan and his army, however big it is, they show up for battle. Jesus comes riding on his white horse in the clouds, speaks a word, and it's over. That's spiritual warfare, y'all. I'm sorry if it doesn't itch your dramatic Hollywood button, but that's it. All through the Bible, if you would actually read the Bible, and not trust Hollywood to make a movie for you, or the Cliff Notes, or however you do it. But if you read the Bible, you see this over and over and over again. Read the Gospels. Read the book of Acts. There is no fight. It's not like when they go to fight these demons, the demons are like, all right, put up your dukes. There's no fight. It is command and obey. Demons obey Jesus better than we do. Mm, that hurts. He says it, and they're gone. No holy water needed. No silver bullets, no crucifixes, no magic words. Just walking in the Spirit. And it's not just Jesus, y'all. Luke 10 tells us the story of Jesus sending out 70 of his followers to go minister, to do miracles, to preach, to cast out demons. And this is the result. It says, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning, not fighting. I was watching Satan fight with my father. Nope, didn't happen. Satan got the holy boot and there was no fight. I was watching Satan fall like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. You see the anchor there? Y'all, the anchor is not in victory. The anchor is not in spiritual warfare. The anchor is not in authority over demons or miracles or any of that stuff. Your anchor is in eternity with Jesus. Your anchor is in salvation with Jesus Christ. That is your anchor. The fact that you get to be with Jesus forever. And your forever has started now. Because the Holy Spirit is in you and is with you. But the reality of this is, Jesus has given you authority. Now, we've got to be careful. There's some goofy teaching out there on this, right? That is not authority that I get to wield however I want. Your authority comes under authority, right? You get, now listen, Christian, don't rob yourself of the power here. 
you get to walk in all of the authority that Jesus Christ has given you. But you have to walk that under his ultimate authority. All right? That is not, Jesus has given me the power to heal. I'm going to go out to campus and heal people all day long. Not if that's not what God's telling you to do. Your authority comes under authority. So you've got to do what he says. Again, it has to be Christ's attitude at work in you. While you do this, surrender, humility, obedience, selflessness. And guys, can I tell you something? There is a lot of talk, especially in more Pentecostal charismatic movements and churches and all that. You know, there's a lot of talk about spiritual warfare and where Satan's going to shake in his boots when he hears our worship medleys and we march and we, you know, do all this stuff. False. I, 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 don't, I, I don't buy it. But I tell you what Satan will shake in his boots over. Satan will shake. Satan does shake when he sees a Christian come in surrender to the Holy Spirit, in humility, in obedience to God and God's word, and in selflessness. When you walk in the attitude of Christ, Satan shakes. You can scream and shout and puff up all you want. Try to flex on Satan. It's not going to work. But when you flex your humility, your selflessness, your obedience, your surrender, when that's the muscle you flex, oh my goodness. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. I say that about every passage, right? James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe, also believe and shudder. I love the book of James. We're going to do a sermon series next year on the book of James. But I love it because James is all about this life. You say you believe in God. Good. Do what he says. Right? You say you believe in God. Good. So does the enemy. But he actually does. And shakes in his boots. Isn't that incredible? There's spiritual warfare for you. Your ultimate enemy, the enemy of the world, he knows exactly who God is. And he is terrified. He doesn't want to come against you, Christian. When you're actually walking with God, he does not want to have anything to do with you. Because what did we say our anchor is? What did we say it was last week? Or last sermon series, last month, right? Emmanuel, God with us. But here's the thing. We've got to be walking in the Spirit, right? If I just walk in, all right, I'm here to fight you, Satan. Okay, Jeremy, bring it, right? Satan's not scared of me, y'all. And I'm afraid that's the problem a lot of Christians have today, is we think that, you know, if we just stamp Christian on our forehead... Satan's going to shake in his boots about us. He doesn't care about the name. Well, how do you know that? Interesting. Funny you should ask. Acts 19 tells a pretty scary story. Halloween scary, if we're being honest. Sit around your campfires and tell this one. There's this Jewish priest, and his name is Sceva, and he has seven sons. These sons are Jewish exorcists. So they travel around, and you know they've got probably not crucifixes because those aren't a thing yet, but holy water, and they've got their magic words, and they do their thing, and they go in there, and they find these possessed people, and they cast out demons, right? So they're going around, and they're fighting, and they're the, they're the Hollywood battlers. They're like in there fighting with the demons, and you know all this stuff, praying the prayers, and all the things, and it's a battle. But then these seven sons of Sceva, they look over and they see this Paul character. And Paul marches into a room and he says, in the name of Jesus, stand and walk. And the person stands and walks. And he walks into a room and he says, in the name of Jesus, evil spirit be gone. And the evil spirit is gone. And there's no fight. 
and there's no drama, nothing. It's so easy. And so they see this and they think, man, I want to do that, right? It's kind of cool in the book of Acts. You watch the disciples walking in the Spirit, and as they walk in the Spirit on multiple occasions, people are like, I want that. You know, there's one guy who pays out money for it. He's like, hey, Paul, take my money. I want that. Give me, right? But these seven sons of Sceva see the same thing. I want that. So they march into this room, and they're ready to go, and they see this evil, possessed man. They're like, all right, here it goes. You guys ready? I'm guessing they got all their other stuff ready to go. They say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And the worst thing in the world happens to them. And Christian, I'm afraid that this is the position far too many churches are in today. The evil spirit answers and says, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And proceeds to beat the snot out of all seven of those men, strip them of their clothes, and send them running. Spiritual warfare always ends the same way. When we fight man's way, it ends the same way it ended for the seven sons of Sceva. The enemy wins. But when we fight God's way, when we actually walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving him complete control of every moment of our lives, not compartmentalizing, we're good at compartmentalizing, this is tearing all those walls down, and saying, Holy Spirit, you've got everything. When we do that, not just call on Jesus' name when it's convenient, or when we've gotten in over our heads, right? How many of you have done that on a test? Right? You forgot to study the night before. Jesus, if you get me through this, I promise I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. I've made that promise a lot. That's not what walking by the Spirit is. Now look, God's good, isn't he? I think part of the reason I'm pastoring this church right now is because I made that promise during an exam in college. <laughs> God called my bluff. <laughs> right? But God's good. And even when we do it man's way, he will step in and fix our mistakes. But guys, can you imagine how powerful we could be as a church if we just started doing it his way? I preach this every week, and there are still areas that I need to get rid of. That, that I need to give him complete control of and stop trying to do it my way. But man, church, if we get there, there is no war. I actually want to end with this. Romans 8. That's probably the passage I should have preached on when we talk about spiritual warfare. That's the passage everybody else preaches on when we talk about spiritual warfare. But here's the thing. Christian, if you are ready to do it God's way, We've got so many people who claim the promises we have. Romans 8 is a great chapter. It's a powerful chapter. But that chapter comes with dependence upon the Holy Spirit as the precursor to it. Don't claim this promise and go about and try to do it your way. But when you're ready to do it God's way, listen to this spiritual warfare. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes. Rather, he who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, this is how you go to war. Tomorrow is Halloween, and it is a holiday rooted in some darkness, y'all. But you serve the God of all the universe. Church, it is time that we shine that light. And instead of shrinking back and hiding, locking our doors, drawing the blinds, don't let the darkness in. Y'all, the God I serve says everywhere that when I walk with him as my light, when I walk into that darkness, it is the darkness that has to flee from me. Amen? Come on, somebody. So let's shine that light and let's watch the darkness run. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.